You can open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you. Also, will have uh, the passage on the screen. Uh, man, I, I, I've actually missed being up here. I, I spoke last weekend in Houston, and that was a great privilege and got to serve a, a lot of people. Uh, but it's always, uh, this is, there's no place I would rather be than to be here uh, with people that I love and uh, I love this series that Aaron kicked off for us last week called New Song, and uh, we're going to continue that as we look at Psalm 40 this morning. Um, now, I'm, I'm a movie guy. Like, there's um, no other way to put it. Uh, I can go and get lost on an afternoon for two, two and a half hours in the dark, and uh, took my kids, actually, Jen was out with a group of ladies this week, and took my kids to see uh, the new Spider-Man, and I can just get into anything. But a good movie in and of itself uh, can change, um, not just kill a couple of hours, but it can change the way that you see the world, the, the, the kind of person that you want to be. I mean, I don't know how many of us have had the experience of kind of being inside of a movie and kind of getting our heart strings pulled and, and kind of going out and thinking, and I'm never going to be the same after watching this movie. Um, a, a good story has uh, the ability to do that. Um, maybe the most... Uh, profound experience I've had like that and watching a movie was uh, when the Chronicles of Narnia came out uh, and Disney made it, not the BBC version. Um, Aslan looked like a puppet in that version, but uh, I've allowed my, my kids to watch that. But it's probably 2005, 2006, somewhere in that time frame. And I remember just there was a lot of anticipation around this coming out. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's just a, it's just this classic C.S. Lewis work that kind of uh, in, in the form of a children's story uh, models the gospel that comes through a, a character named Aslan, who is a lion. Um, and I remember the, the scene opening up, and there's German bombers that are kind of bombing the city of London, and I remember the, the kids are kind of rushed to the countryside for safety uh, in World War II England, uh, and there's four children, and they go through this magical wardrobe into this world of Narnia, and they encounter uh, a white witch, and they make some friends, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and there's this whole world where it's uh, always winter and never Christmas, which kind of talks about the fallenness of our own world, and then they meet this powerful character named Aslan, who begins to change the whole world of Narnia just through his own sacrifice, and if you're not familiar with this film or the book, I would highly recommend it. It's a spiritual journey, and what I just kind of sat at the, in my seat at the end of this movie because um, they went through the wardrobe and it seemed like there was a long period, even years of time that had passed as they went through this portal into Narnia. But when they came back out of the wardrobe on the other side, they were still right in the middle of World War II England. And I just kind of sat there and I thought, this experience that they had with Aslan, who represents Jesus, it didn't actually change the circumstances that they were walking in. They were still in the middle of World War II, but I promise you, the way that they began to live out their life was changed forever because of their interaction with Aslan. And that's a little bit of what worship is to be like um, all of us arrive here uh, with different things going on inside of our stories this week. 
And I can't promise you that immediately your circumstance is going to be different. But I can say that as we fix our eyes on God and as we look at Psalm chapter 40, the chance to encounter God through his word can change our perspective in the way that we walk through that. So that's what we're going to look at as we look at Psalm chapter 40. Uh, If you have your Bibles open, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 and verses 9 through 11. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we just give attention to God's word? Um, We stand because we place ourselves underneath God's word because these are the most important words that are going to be spoken here today. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, those who go astray after a lie. Verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just pray with me. Father, so much um, my heart is stirred for your ministry to happen among your people. I so want these verses to have their intended effect on us as a church, particularly those that find themselves on uncertain ground, those that find themselves in the pit. I pray that despite all that people are walking through, that there would be a new song in our hearts. Apart, The only way that that happens is because of you and the power of your spirit making your word come alive um, and shining a spotlight on Jesus. I pray that you would do that and that you would do more than we can ask or imagine or even think. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we jump into Psalm 40, before we get uh, a long way into it, I want to just kind of zoom out and I want to talk a little bit about uh, a big picture uh, view of worship and why that's important inside of a local church. While we're actually um, inside of this series, um, it might seem like an odd title to you that we have a series called New Song, right? Um, probably church is one of the few places on the planet where people actually come together very intentionally to sing. Um, we probably underestimate the power of singing together. Singing unites us. Um, I have just a number of friends that are all over the country. Um, you too. I mean, if you haven't noticed, it has like a concert, you know, that's kind of traveling around. And um, every one of them has this shot of this big, beautiful video board. And uh, some of them uh, probably wrongly post uh, 
videos of them singing along the lyrics. But um, the thing about music is it draws people in and it unites them. Whether you can sing or you not sing, um, in those moments, the people are drawn in. And um, songs have a power to um, unite us. And um, as we look at Psalm 40, and, and this is really our conviction as a local church, is that um, there are few things that are more important in building a healthy local church than the worship culture, right? I mean, we can either gladly reflect the worth and the value of God by the way that we interact through singing, or, you know, we can kind of mute that message um, just by our disinterest and our apathy. The Christian faith has always been a sung faith. From the very beginning, the people of God have sung. Listen to this quote from Sam Cox. He's a worship leader and a songwriter that's from the UK that recently relocated to the United States. He said, singing is timeless. Our faith is a sung faith both in history and for all time. Singing is central to our expression as the children of God. The people of God have always sung. We sing in war. We sing in peace, we sing in victory, and we sing in defeat. We sing in celebration, and we sing in lament. So the question, um, I I think if you look at Scripture and you look at church history, you're going to see that the people of God have always sung. But my question is, why do we sing, right? Why is that something that God uses to build His people? And so I'm going to use a couple of very sentimental yet cheesy examples of why singing matters. Singing connects our stories to something greater. So um, I want you to listen to this clip. This is the song that my, my wife and I danced to at our wedding 17 years ago. This may be the only time that you hear country music inside of this church. I get up and battle the day Things don't always go my way It might rain But that's okay, I get to come home to you. Sometimes life may get me. Uh, That song, right, um, we listen to it from time to time, but no matter what, it reminds us that's the first song that we sang or we danced to as a married couple. And that song was... Um, special to us because uh, we were just a couple that were deeply in love and we wanted to be married and I talked to her dad and he said the only way that you guys are going to be able to get married is A, you finish college or B, you get a job that can provide really well. So I decided uh, probably impulsively, I said I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to get a job because I want to get married right now. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, But the job that I got um, was a great job, and I was a contractor for the United States Navy, and I would work 10, 12, 14, 16, even 18-hour days, and all I could think about was how was I going to get up and battle the day, but, you know, things don't always go my way, but I get to come home to you, and that's the reason um, that that song was sentimental, so it connected my story, my experience with the truth of something greater. Uh, now we're going to listen to this clip from Casting Crowns from the mid-2000s. But the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed The waves they keep on telling me time and time again Boy, you never win 
That clip uh, is meaningful, not just because it was probably Casting Crown's breakout hit, but because um, that was the year that I, I had always felt called into pastoral ministry, and I just began immediately um, upon just receiving an invitation to kind of go uh, to the pastor's college, just began to have severe doubts, panics, fears, um, and this song, I, I don't think I would be standing here today if it wasn't for that. My, my experience was the waves are laughing at me and calling out my name, but there's a different voice, right? So I maybe have not heard that song maybe in over a decade. But that song matched my experience with a picture of who God is, um, and it sustained me and it carried me on. And that's what worship is supposed to do. And so I want to just kind of share this equation with you. Worship um, and we're talking about small W worship. We do believe that all of life is worship. But uh, in particular, the, the songs that we sing here, little W worship, um, it's the theology of who God is and what he's done. We want to have right theology when we sing. And we want to have a God-centered view of singing, plus our situation, which is an honest communication in our soul about our own situation. And that's where most of us go astray, right? We can get that there's this picture of God and who he is and what he's done, but it's hard for us sometimes in the middle of life to be emotionally honest with where we are. So our situation, uh, plus our whole heart, wholehearted response to who God is, and that changes us, right? So when we have the theology of who God is and what he's done, plus emotional honesty about the situation that we're going through. That's what David is doing in Psalm 40, and he's inviting other people into that song, and a wholehearted response equals transformation. This is our conviction. This is the teaching of Scripture that you cannot encounter God, who he is and what he's done, and respond to him in faith and not be different. Right? So that's the reason, whether you know it or not, that you actually pull yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning and you come here and you sing songs and you listen to sermons because God meets with his people um, through his word and through other people singing together. He actually changes us. And that's exactly what we see from Psalm 40. Look at verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. So David is going through this tremendous trial. He's describing it as this period. The Hebrew says he waited, waited on the Lord. We say waited patiently. There's this anticipation and there's this difficulty that he's going through, but he's also at the same time looking for God to intervene and looking for God to do something. And that may be exactly where you're here this morning, that you are facing something and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, it doesn't seem to be changing, and you're waiting on the Lord. But I love um, the confidence that this gives us in the character of God. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord... And this is where, this can make all the difference. He inclined to me and heard my cry. That God is particularly interested in the things that you're going to. He is inclined towards you. That fuels worship. That fuels prayer. That he hears our cries. That he's 
locked into whatever we're going through. I mean, that makes a difference. I mean, if you don't believe that God actually hears your cries, you're never going to cry out to Him. But this psalm, and really corporate worship as a whole, is an invitation to experience who God is. And what David does, because actually this is a psalm um, where he's found himself in trouble again. I'm going to read a couple verses in a second. He's using the power of his memory of God's faithfulness in the past to bring hope to the present and what he's going through. Look at verses 13 through 17 with me. David's still in trouble. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So David, in the midst of a current trial, what does he do? And there's only one reason to do this. He goes back to the pit. He goes back to the place where he felt like he was almost destroyed in the past for strength in the present. Now, there are some very bad reasons to go back to the pit, right? It could be shame. It could be guilt. It could be questioning and blaming God over the situation that you're in. But the only biblical reason to turn back and look at the pit, like the place of destruction in your life, is to feel worship, right? So we can currently, in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we face, we can find strength and help and comfort by looking at God's faithfulness in the past. His past mercies fuel our present worship, right? So we all have stories. Just think back to what you were going through in 2012. Like, how many people can do that? If it was a particularly acute trial, maybe you can, but July 2012, what were the cares and the anxieties that we were going through, right? None of us can probably remember because God has been faithful to deliver us. And the same God that delivered us in the past will meet us in the present and will continue to sustain us in the future. And I, I love that, that David, it not only changed um, his outlook, but it changed the tune of his heart. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's the title of this series, a new song, right? It's not just a different song. It's actually um, the same Hebrew word that means rebuilt, restored, renewed. It's a song that God gives his people despite their circumstances. And that's exactly what's going on for David. David has the backdrop of destruction where God had delivered him in the past, and he's going through like a real trial and a real difficulty. But what sustained him through all of that is the song that God put inside of his heart. And that song began to rebuild him and remake him and to allow him to persevere and allow him to continue to go forward in faith and in joy. The truth is, we're always singing some kind of song, right? You don't even have to be musical. It could be the song of anxiety. It could be the song of shame. It could be the song of fear. It could be the song, um, have you seen the Lego movie? Like, everything is awesome, right? I don't sing it like that. I sing, I'm awesome, you know? So that's kind of, you can have all these tunes that are vying for the song of your heart. 
But what God wants to do in the midst of our difficulties of life is give us a song that rebuilds us. And what I love about this, and this is what this whole series is about, the song that he gives his people begins to save other people, right? It says, he put a new song in my heart, a hymn of praise to God, so that many will feed fear and put their trust in the Lord. So there's a, there's a missional element. It's very attractional for the people of God to come and to cast their cares on God, but it also begins to draw in the world into this song. And that's really, honestly, I, I believe, a real calling on us as a church in an area where there might be some singing going on, but there's not a lot of rejoicing going on, where there's not a lot of authenticity that we have a chance as a local church to begin to build and model something different because God has given us a song to sing. And the result of that is more and more people will begin to be drawn into our experience of the nearness and the kindness of God. It's probably been a few months in just some honest evaluation of uh, our worship culture as a whole. Um, Aaron has done an outstanding job, I think, leading us. Um, But as I've been talking with other pastors from around the country, this this is what we've collectively noticed. As Generation X and millennial songwriters have begun to write songs, uh, they're very good at hitting the note of authenticity and reality, and there's a lot of songs about coming out of sadness and coming out of shame. And those are needed because uh, in generations past, there was not a lot of authenticity in houses of worship. But there is a flip side to that. If that's the only song that you sing, it can leave you focused on yourself, focused on your problems, and focused on your own situation. And so what we have very intentionally done over the last several months, I'm sure you have noticed, is to insert God as the main character of worship and not our situation, right? Because we don't need just a a rehearsing of our failures. What we need is an encounter with the real God who meets us and delivers us. So we're trying very intentionally to set our gaze and our attention on God himself. And that makes all the difference because um, authenticity apart from faith is not a virtue, by the way. It's just fallen humanity, right? And if you are from a younger generation, um, like, it it seems like just being real. I'm just going to keep it real. Like, that's not a godly virtue. What's a godly virtue is to say, this is where I am, but I'm not going to stay there because this is who God is and this is what he's done, right? So that's what it should be as we come together as the people of God is that we place our faith on God and who he is. And we are called to sing this song to all of our city. So this is, this is kind of where I want to land this morning. There's, I think, three ways logically we can view this. I think I have a slide for this. Um, we can sing of untrue things as if they're true. That's emotionalism, right? That's singing prong, uh, prom songs to Jesus, you know? Uh, you've probably heard some of those on Christian radio. Uh, you're not really sure if that's a you know, just a tune that came from, uh, kind of crossed over if it was Taylor Swift or whatever. You can sing of those things as if they're true. That's emotionalism. We can sing of true things, and this is what most churches in the South do. We sing of true things as if they're untrue, right? Because of either our lack of expressiveness or our um, the demeanor on our faces 
and that's dead orthodoxy, and that in no way commends the gospel. Uh, or our third option, what Psalm 40 encourages us to do, is that we can sing of true things as if they're true. Now, I'm not trying to manipulate any emotional response, but I am saying that when we take the truth of who God is and the situation that we're in and we combine it with faith, that there is a response, whether that's internal, external, um, and that's a song that begins to draw other people in. So um, we're going to sing in a little bit that this changes everything. We want to sing about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus as if that's really going to affect the things that we're walking in and through our lives. Which brings me to my final point. Unrestrained mercy leads to unrestrained worship. Look at verses 9 through 11. It's not just enough to have this song inside of us. It's a song that we have to share with other people. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. That's the people of God. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart, right? That's our natural temptation. I'm just going to keep this to myself. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So David's experience or in his desire because of what he's walked through is to bring other people into his experience of worship. It's not just enough for God to deliver us, but we want to tell other people. We want to join our voices and our hearts and our lives with people that tell the story of God's faithfulness. He says, I have not restrained my lips. I've held nothing back. What a beautiful picture. That's what authentic worship is. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to respond to the truth of who God is. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. Praise has to be expressed. It has to get out or it's not praise. I have not concealed your steadfast love or your covenant faithfulness from the people of God. God is, uh, David is modeling for us unrestrained worship and he wants other people to join us. And more than David wanting us to join us, God is inviting us through Psalm 40 to join in this new song. To not restrain our lips in the midst of the congregation. Right? To join our hearts. You don't have to be uh, a fantastic singer. And, and this, is, this is why we can sing. Because this isn't just about emotion coming to bear on singing. This is about what Jesus died for and paid for. This is about the song of heaven that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, breaking in and touching earth. This is about the preoccupation of all time becoming our preoccupation. And it's going to make a difference in what you walk through this week. And I know that there are several of you in here in the, this morning that's in, you're just honest, like I'm in the pit. Like I'm in the pit of destruction right now. How do you have confidence to sing in the midst of the pit. How do you know that your prayer will be answered? You know that your prayer will be answered because there was one who was perfect. There was one that was sinless. There was one that was blameless who cried out to the Father that if there was any way that this cup could pass from him, 
which was the cup of salvation and the cup of God's wrath. If there was any way that he didn't have to drink of that, that he could be delivered. And heaven was silent so that heaven will never be silent for us as the people of God. The mercy of the cross is we don't have to restrain our lips because the steadfast mercy and the unrestrained mercy of God has come to rest on the people of God because of Jesus Christ. The reason that we can sing, whether it is a storm or it is going well, is because Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us and he is worthy of our worship and our trust. And as we pour out our hearts before him, he changes us. So we're going to spend some time this morning. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to pray. And we're just going to spend some time singing to the merciful God who has saved us. And I'm going to pray right now that God would give us a new song. In particular, if you are in a pit, if you are in the midst of difficulty, that somehow you would be able to see that God is enough that God is present to satisfy and to sustain you, that God is present to meet with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now, in the midst of this, that our lips would not be restrained. I pray that we would remember your past faithfulness in our lives. Um, I pray that this wouldn't just be a performance, but there would be real ministry that takes place in these moments. We need to meet with you. The circumstances that we face threaten to crush us and destroy us. I pray that you would allow us to sing a song of hope and defiance in the midst of the pits that we face, all because of Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray.